fellowship with us today. We ask that as we look into your word, that you reveal your glory to us even in a greater way. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and that we can understand it more intensely and live it more diligently. We thank you and honor you for it all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We are on episode number three of our series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And in this episode, we are going to mess with something that we hear quite often. The one thing that we hear quite often, do not judge others. Now, somebody's going to say, but it is in the Bible, but let's go ahead and talk about it. Because the way you're using it is not what the Bible intends. So what we're going to look at, we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to go ahead and go through that whole chapter because it's so significant. I believe that it is something that we have to discuss. Now throughout this series, we have been mentioning how there are er erroneous beliefs about God and about Christianity that have snuck into modern ways of thinking. And these words or phrases actually conflict to what the Bible teaches. And that's why we are in this series. And so now, before we go a little bit further, I want to help with your understanding. And the way I'm going to help you, I'm going to ask you to think about the word judge. And if I say the word judge, some of us will think about the person sitting on the bench and dealing out guilty and non-guilty verdicts based upon a jury or someone who stands over you and looks down from their place of a higher position in a way that causes you not to feel as if you are okay. But some other words that I want to bring out about judge are the verb. What does it mean to judge? Now we got the noun, we have the vision of the person, place, or thing as that person in the robe and all this other stuff. But let, what does the word judge as an action mean? Some folks are saying in their mind right now it means to condemn. Some folks in their mind are saying it means to convict. Because that's what judges do, they condemn and they convict. But I want to also bring out a couple of other synonyms for you so you can kind of understand the totality of what judge means. Judge means to appreciate. Judge means to assess. Judge means to try or to uh, review, to resolve, to evaluate. Judge also means to discern. Judge means to consider. Judge can also mean to examine or to find, to discover. Did I say evaluate? Judge means to 
evaluate again. And so when we judge, we are doing an evaluation. And I would say that we evaluate all the time. I would say that we look at things and we make an assessment of them all the time. But we have taken that word judge and we have looked at her a couple scriptures and then we say you ain't supposed to do it. But it's something, a process that we do all the time. Why do we do that? So we can make a decision. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And as we look at it in, in Corinthians, the fifth chapter, I want to also bring out the fact that Paul had to write to the Corinthians because the Corinthians lived in a place that was very prosperous and it was very spiritual. They had gods of all kinds. And they had ceremonies of all kinds. So it was a very spiritual place. And that they were always seeking something greater. And he writes in this fifth chapter, starting at the first verse of 1 Corinthians. He says, it is actually reported that there is, this is the English Standard Version. It is actually reported that there is a, there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
we as a body have to maintain accountability. Accountability is key to the success of our body. If you, uh, in the middle of the night, stub your toe against something and it hurts really, really, really bad, and then you get up in the morning and you put your foot on the floor and that toe is still hurting and you're going throughout the day and it seems to be hurting worse, then you need to do an evaluation of your toe and get it checked out. You go to the emergency room and discover that you broke your, let's do the pinky toe. You broke your pinky toe. And you broke your pinky toe. So you had to do this evaluation based upon the injury, based upon the condition that your foot is in. You had to make a judgment because it will help the health of your body. Amen. Now, let's say you fell and broke your leg and you're still trying to walk around with a broke leg. Not only does it cause you pain, but if you break it in such a way that it is a compound fracture, which means that the bone is now protruding through the skin, you're going to look awful funny trying to walk with bones sticking out of your leg. But you have to make an evaluation. You have to make an assessment. You have to repair that which is damaged. This is the same point that Paul is bringing out. He's bringing out, if, if I can just break it down for you really quick, he says, it, it, listen, I heard that there's somebody that is messing around with his father's wife. So the assumption that we can make because it's his father's wife, it's his stepmother. And so we're saying this guy is having sexual relationships with his stepmother. Now still, because it's his mother, it's still considered incest. Well, uh, his father's wife is considered incest. And now number one, Paul says, listen, the pagans don't even, the ones that are not even in Christ don't even tolerate this. And now y'all got your noses all stuck up in the air. That's why he said, you know, how, how can you be arrogant? How can you be arrogant when you should be the one saying, this is not right. This is a broken leg, a double compound fracture. And you guys acting like everything's okay. It's not okay. You have to do something to prepare this. Now, I will go ahead and say that this was not just a one-time occurrence. Because everybody knew about it. Everybody knows about it. The church is saying we, we're so spiritual that we can allow this to happen among us and it not affect us. Let me tell you something about, about this. No matter how, how high you think you're standing or how high you think you are, the Bible says if you think you're standing, you need to take heed lest you fall. And so we have to look at 
evaluate, assess, judge what we're doing, how we are operating in the body, how is the body functioning. He says, now, he, Paul is bringing out the fact that we're going to do this and we're not going to do this maliciously. We're not going to do this with intent to harm the guy. We want him to change his mind. We want him to repent and to begin to walk in a different direction. And so he brings out the fact that you need to deliver this man over to Satan. And now some folks will look at that and say, I got to take him to the devil. No, what he means is you separate him from the body and you allow him to not only uh, do his worldly things, but live in that environment and hopefully that will cause his mind to change. He says, no longer allow this person to be counted among you. Kick him out. Give him the boot. Now, somebody probably saying in the back of their mind, but God is love. Now, love has a standard. And that's where a lot of us miss out on. Love has a standard. And if we go by the standard that love has established, then if you don't make the standard, then you have to suffer the consequences. It's just like I'm quite sure every parent loves their child. And if that child violates the standard, there is a level of discipline that occurs from that violation. So there's a consequence to every violation. This one is so egregious is that it's reflecting negatively on the church in Corinthians. Now I'm quite sure that y'all heard of churches that or people in churches that are doing certain things and that is known throughout the church and that person is still doing things in the church. And you see people say, I don't go to that church because they're doing this. I know they're doing this. I know everybody in that church know about this. And so it reflects negatively on the body. Compound fracture and walking around. And so as they're going through this process, he says, let, let, me, let me help you understand this because most of the folks in, Cor in Corinth where he was writing to were Jewish, so they understood about the Passover. And so he goes into the fact, he says, listen, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are real, that as you really are unleavened. Leaven represents sin in the Bible. That's why before the Passover, you had to take out all the leaven in your house. Anything that would cause the bread to rise had to be out of the house. And you had to eat bread that did not have any yeast in it. That's why he said, you are really the unleavened. You are the ones that have been called out. You are the ones that have been set apart. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's showing how you have
have to break away from the old ways. We have allowed this worldly mentality to come in here, this flesh mentality to come in here, and it's affecting our body. How long are you going to just use a cane? Or how long are you just going to use crutches? How long are you going to just use a walker instead of getting your fracture fixed? How long are you going to allow this to happen? Then in that verse number six, it says this. You walk around with a broken leg and talking about, it's okay, I can still walk. You got blood pursing out of your leg, bones sticking out. I can still walk. You're boasting like there's nothing really wrong, but everybody can see that something is wrong. Have y'all ever ate spinach artichoke dip? Now, one of the good things about spinach artichoke dip is that it's good. The bad thing about spinach artichoke dip is that spinach sometimes is get right in between your front two teeth. And if you don't do right, it'll stay right there. And you walk around all day unless, what? Somebody tell you, you got a little something in your teeth. These folks are walking around with spinach all in their teeth, seeing it in each other's faces, and just saying, you're all right. But they're not all right. You need to go brush your teeth. You need to clean up. You need to do what's necessary to be in the right position, in the right place. And so as we continue to look at this, we see how Paul's trying to help them to purify themselves and simultaneously redeem a brother who has fallen. He says, you can no longer, if he's a brother, then he has a standard of love that he has to abide by. He has a standard that has been established that he should be living in. And so as he as we go forward and we look at number uh number uh, verse number 9 he says I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he goes on in verse number 10 and says, "Listen. I wasn't talking about the people that are immoral. I'm talking about the people that have life and that they want to live in a new way." I ain't talking about the folks outside. I'm talking about the folks inside. The folks that are part of our community, the folks that are part of our body, are the folks that I am talking to. If we find sexual immorality in our organization, we need to do what's necessary to heal that brokenness. Then he had to go ahead and make it plain. He says, but now, number 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother who's one of us if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now the balance to that is we all know how we have to Treat one another with love. And sometimes love, again, 
has a standard. Not sometimes, all the time it has a standard. And it says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you are to judge because God's got them. That makes me think about something. You remember in Matthew, the seventh, seventh uh, chapter, it talks about Jesus was telling them, don't, do not judge. And that's where everybody referenced when they say, in the Bible it says, do not judge. What Jesus was talking about was the fact that the Pharisees, you know, hypocritical jokers, need to quit judging folks and need to live instead of talking nonsense. That's the point that Jesus was making out. But we try to use that saying, do not judge, as our uh, uh, buffet, so folks won't try to make us uh, try to correct us from doing whatever it is that we're doing. They'll say something like, don't judge me. But if you're in Christ, that's part of accountability. If you're in Christ, I have to evaluate. I have to make a decision. I have to look at, I have to assess, are we living right? And my expectation is, if I have spinach in my teeth, if I have some wrongdoing or something that I am not uh, aware of or not acting like I'm aware of, I need somebody to pull my coattail and say, listen, you need to get this right. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So judgment is not for us to judge the world because God's already got the world and is already going to judge the world and already has his things in position to judge the world. But we have to realize that it is a process whereby we help each other to grow in Christ. The whole purpose of the body is to provoke each other to righteousness, to push each other, to poke and to prod one another to living a godly life. And so, as Paul is calling them out for being all prideful about the fact that you now have decided that because you are the church, and you got this going on, and now you got this going on with this man is having incest with his mother that you guys are super spiritual. Now, this is, has, has some different issues with it, but the point that I want to make out is everybody knew about it. This is how I got to Paul. Everybody knew about it. Not only, not only was it inside the congregation, but it was out in public. And guess what then becomes the saying? Guilty by association. You got that guy lit? Y'all must all be doing that. Y'all must all be doing, you know, something shady. And it becomes then an indictment against the church. The whole reason I believe that God revealed to Paul to talk about the church being a body is because we have to be accountable to one another. We have to understand that we have an effect on everyone that is a part of the body. God's house 
not only affects God's house, but it affects the name of Christ, and it affects the name of whatever other church that you know or have been. What was I getting ready to say? Have been talking about or have heard of. Now, I want to go ahead and call it a day, because I think y'all now understand. But, I, you know, I got to tell a little something, something about, about this. So there was this guy. And uh, I'm going to just read this article from one of my favorite sites. It says, feeling a deep conviction over his indwelling sin and recognizing his need for some serious, hard-hitting accountability, local man Ryan McKenzie announced he had selected himself as his own accountability partner Friday afternoon. I have carefully considered all candidates in my life, McKenzie wrote on his blog. I thought and prayed deeply over the matter because I recognize I fall short on my own and need someone who won't pull any punches and who will help me to see my blind spots. Someone who is godly and mature for my accountability partner, therefore the choice is clear, myself. Reporters reached out to McKenzie's accountability partner, Ryan McKenzie, to find out what his strategy was for keeping himself from falling into the old habits of sin that have become more and more prevalent recently. Well, the beauty of accountability is you don't have to go through things on your own. When I'm feeling tempted, I'll make sure that I ask myself if I really want to succumb to the temptation or not. And I'm not sure that will be sufficient to keep me and I'm sure that will be sufficient to keep me from sinning. I have my number, so I can always text myself and ask how I'm doing. And we even have matching WWJD bracelets to see if that helps. As a specific, as a specific sin-fighting example, McKenzie told reports that he's installing anti-pornography software on his computer which will email a list of the questionable sites he views each day to himself for review. McKenzie told reporters he is confident he can keep McKenzie accountable. Iron sharpens iron, he says. That's my funny for today. I will tell you that Mr. McKenzie has the same mentality as the Corinthian church, where he thinks that he is able to be accountable just by talking to himself. I had an old science teacher, name was Mr. Fields, and Mr. Fields would always say, I was saying to myself, self, and then he would go on with the thing. So I'm looking at this Ryan guy, and I'm saying, he's saying, Ryan, what are you doing? What it is we want to do. But we need that person to come in and see us and help us, assist us, evaluate us, assess us so that we can become better and they can become better also. Again, God has formed us, has set us up as this community of believers that come together 
so that we can be accountable to each other, that we can be honest with each other, and that we can submit ourselves to one another, knowing that our goal is to cause one another, to provoke one another, to prod one another to good works and righteousness. So, the Bible does not say, don't judge others. The Bible says that we should be accountable to one another, that we should assess one another. And when Jesus said, do not judge, he was talking to the folks that thought that they were better than everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing the truth behind judgment. We thank you, God, that it is in our, you said that judgment actually begins in your house. And so, God, we ask that you will give us wisdom, that you will make us to be the assessors, the evaluators, but, God, that we will do it in a spirit of meekness, kindness, and like you told us in uh, Galatians 6, that we will not be overcome by the enemy. So, God, we thank you. We bind any pride or anything that will cause us to feel that we're superior to someone when we're trying to help them to live a better life and that we will all do it in the power of unity and submission one to another, that you will be glorified in all things. We thank you. We honor you for it all. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.